Okay. okay. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Chabura. I hope your fast is, was uh, easy and successful. Uh, for those who are here for the first time, we are in an online Bet Midrash comprised of international students offering cutting-edge Torah for you to learn anytime, anywhere. Just a note to say that if you're watching or hearing this public shoot on YouTube or podcast, we have a whole range of exclusive classes for our members that are not publicly available. In order to access these members-only classes, you can become a member at thechabura.com slash join. I'll put that link in the chat box. There you'll discover the benefits of becoming a Chabura member, which includes a unique curriculum of classes in video and podcast form, a free book shipped to you each year, the opportunity to write for our journals and books, and to connect with hundreds of like-minded individuals from over 20 countries. Uh, we don't make profit from any of our projects, so we appreciate the support of our members in ensuring the Chabura continues to provide cutting-edge Torah to a global audience. Uh, so if you enjoy what, you're, what we're doing at the Chabura, please consider becoming a member today in time for our new curriculum beginning in September. Visit our website to find out more. And uh, moving on to tonight. Tonight, we have the privilege of having a conversation between our very special Rosh Bet Midrash, Senior Rabbi Rabbi Joseph Dweck, and the extremely impressive and insightful Rabbi Dr. Sam Liebens, who is a professor of philosophy and fortunately for us is no stranger to the Chabura. Uh, tonight, we will be discussing the foundational problem of evil and suffering. Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. And with that, I will hand it over to B. Thank you, Rebohad. As, as thank always, you. thank you, everybody, for tuning in. And thank you to Yididi V'chavibi Kebavat Aini, Reb Sam Liebens, for taking the time to be able to share on the Chabura and to speak about such fundamental issues, which... We're going to, I, I wonder if we will barely even scratch the surface in the short period of time that we have, because these are, you know, as they say, these are big issues, and you raised them, again, this wasn't my choice, <laughs> this is Rabbi Sam's choice, but I'm happy to go along for the ride. Wherever well, well I had an agenda, you see, on behalf yes, of the Kabura, because I, I will be teaching a course, three, three uh, sessions, I can't remember exactly when it is, after the summer. On, on the problem of evil. So I'm, I'm hoping to whet people's appetites. I'm hoping, you know, that we leave people with lots of questions. They want to come back for more. Well, that I'm sure we'll be able to do. <laughs> Answers, I don't know. Not so much, but maybe some questions. We'll do our right. best. But whatever it is, the process and the, and the journey of discussion with you was always exhilarating and, and a privilege. So I'm, I'm happy to be able to be here and do it with you. So take it away. Which direction do you want to go in? Where are we headed? Well, in a sense, you know, there, there are questions that I think would be interesting for me to put to you, Rabbi Shvak, because, you know, I, I, I have smicha, but I almost have it by accident, because if you stay put in yeshiva long enough, you end up, you know, you find you have one. Uh, but I don't work as a rabbi. I work as a professor in a, in a philosophy department. And the only things I do with a rabbinic hat on, I, sometimes I have the, the privilege of teaching shiurim. And, and I get to I get to officiate at weddings, which is really nice. <laughs> but I don't do funerals, uh, you know, and uh, I, I do Bikil Cholim when when I got rid my my friends around well. But I don't you know, I don't have a, I don't have the pastoral responsibilities that you have. And therefore, I think there's a sense in which you face the problem of evil as as a more um, tangible, concrete phenomenon. I, I, I sit in the ivory tower and I think about the problem of evil. I can, I can help explain for, for those uh, here as to what that, what that problem is philosophically. But I, I don't think it's always the case that what satisfies somebody philosophically necessarily satisfies their heart. 
right, and necessarily kind of satisfies them existentially. Mm. Um, you know, you may have all sorts of explanations for why pain and suffering happen in the world, uh, but it might it, it might not be uh, all that compassionate to uh, to engage in the. We, you know, those who study Dafyomi, um, we're in in Masechet um, at the moment, and, and and there's this interesting agadita where where Rachel Akish comes to a, a shiva. And he gets his maturgaman to, to kind of give comfort. And it's not at all comforting. On first, well, on first. He wasn't great at that in general. But. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with something like, well, you know, uh, uh, people get punished for their sins. So, you know, people yeah, die yeah. young. Something like that. <laughs> which, is the, which is the classic line. You know, I, I, that's that's certainly one prominent strand when it no, comes fine. to the question of suffering in, in, in Torah and certainly in rabbinic literature that, you know, it's it's almost always, although the Bavli certainly takes a turn, but I think that it's almost always connected to suffering. Certainly the, 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 the Bible primes us, right? Tanakh primes us to, to think of things that way. So, you, you know, Rish Lakish saying that. Rish Lakish was, a, was not an easy guy. You know, he didn't even... <laughs> He wouldn't speak to anybody that was from Bavel because he was upset that they never came back, you know, <laughs> to Eretz Israel. So he had his own way of doing things. But no, I mean, I hear, I hear what you're saying. And I, I, you know, I don't think by any means that you're in an ivory tower. And I would have to say that I am, I am, you know, you say that you're a rabbi almost by accident. If I'm involved in philosophy at all, it's almost by accident. <laughs> so we probably balance each other. But I, you know, the, the, the point that you're raising of the the uh you know the pastoral experience i suppose mm-hmm. you know in which mm-hmm. which there is these these intersections of life that happen i remember when i i mean i started as a rabbi very young i was i was 23 years old and i remember the first time that i got i got a call that somebody died and it was my first call and i had to hang up and got another call that somebody just had a baby and these were in the, the period of three minutes, you know, it was very, very, and so for a 23 year old rabbi, I was, I, I was, well, oh my, you know, how am I supposed to deal with this? And I, and, and it was then that I realized that the cycle of life just goes. And, you know, if you find your, your intersection with it, there's a question in which, how do I practically engage when a person is crying on the phone that his mm-hmm. wife just died and he doesn't mm-hmm. know what to do? Uh, yeah. So there, so that point that you're making, I think is an important point in general. But I, but but you know, it doesn't take a rabbi, right? In other words, you living life, me living life, all of these people here, and everyone we know living life, we, because we are alive and human, will experience suffering. It's one of my favorite uh, passages in the Talmud, actually, where Rabbi Yochanan, you know, Rabbi Yochanan, interesting, is always around, very often around the discussions of suffering in the, in the Talmud. But he he stands up for a seventy-year-old Gentile. Or a Gentile that he knows is over 70. Mm-hmm. And you know the story, of course. And the students uh, ask him, you know, why are you standing up? It's a, it's a Gentile, you know, thinking that maybe there should be some wisdom. And his response is simply, if he's lived 70 years on this earth, he knows suffering. And that has taught him. And the wisdom that he acquires, from that we stand for. Right? Yeah. So, so that's part of our human condition. And it's something that touches all of us. So, yes, I, it's an important uh, thing to kind of talk out and unpack. But... I hear that. Right. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, what you touch on is, is um, I mean, I mean, what, what, Rabbi, what Rabbi Yochanan is assuming there, that, that suffering plays a role in, in, in shaping a human being um, and, and, and teaching a human being is a key element of, 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 of many philosophical responses to the problem of evil. You're right. It's another strand. Right? Another, another strand. Right? 
So one strand, you could call it the, the, the punitive uh, strand, which you really see in the Tanakh, that, that it, it seems as if um, when bad things happen, it's, mm. there's, there's always a reason because in a sense, we always deserve it. It's, it's, it's a mm. response for sin. And, uh, but on the other hand, the, the Tanakh itself has multiple um, voices on this. Mm. You know, so, so Yechezkel comes along and says, you know, God forbid a person should be punished for the sins of their, of their, mm. of their ancestors. Mm-hmm. which seems to be completely against the Pshat of Sefer Vayikra and Sefer Varim, where in Sefer Shmot, in, in the Yud Gimel um, Amidot of Hashem, where it, where it looks like in the Chumash, no, the Jewish people, we, we, we have collective responsibility for one another. And sometimes that means that righteous people will suffer alongside uh, um, um, the wicked because of the collective fate of Am Yisrael. And then Yechezkel comes along and says, no, 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 that's not right. That's for Khalila. Uh, that that should be. Yeah. Um, it, we all suffer for our individual sins. But then you say, mm. oh, hold on a minute. Sometimes people, you know, I, I think we should all be open to the possibility that, you know, the, the Gemari Masech Brachot says, if, if suffering comes upon you, the first thing yeah. you should do is inspect your, your own deeds. What are you doing? Yeah, for sure. You know, and now, now that's an important point. It doesn't say inspect other people's deeds. That's right. <laughs> right? That's you know, there's, um, there's a nice... Um, a uh, story about Rav Yisrael Salant during uh, one of the cholera epidemics uh, that's swept across yeah, Europe and much of the world. Um, people were, were, were saying, um, oh, it, it, it's happened because of Chilol Shabbat, or it's happening because of, it's happening because of people aren't, you know, they're not machmir on this mitzvah, or it's because of this Aveira, or it's because of this. And, and Rav Yisrael Salant said, well, maybe it's happening as a punishment for our blaming people for <laughs> for, for the for the magid fat, right? We're that's all so useful, that's so review Israel Salant to exactly. say. But yes, start, it's very important. Yourself, it's a very right? important point, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 it's an important and it's an important uh, point because you know whenever people say, you know, I'm a, what am I doing?" I point out that Gemara. It's always you fresh fish be up, right? Yeah. You know, you got to look in. You know, what can yeah, I do to yourself? You and know, we and that's another rabbi thing because oftentimes the rabbis ask. <laughs> you know, and even when they're not asked, they offer the uh, the, the suggestions. But even when a rabbi is asked, it's important to guide back to Yifash Bish B'Masav in whatever way. But, that there, might but there are times where we recognize, and even that Gemara recognizes that. I mean, there's there's actually I think there's a subtle irony in that Gemara because the Gemara continues and says, and if you can't, if, what if, if you don't find anything? If you don't right. find anything, it says, ah, it's probably because you were Mavatel Parah, right? So yeah. look at your look at your your. And I think there's a subtle point there, which is that mm. if you think that you are completely clean of Averroth, completely mm. clean of sins, you, you really mm. need to learn more Torah. Because, <laughs> right. you know, if you do, you'll recognize you probably weren't. You know, we, mm. we, we, all, we all have, you know, we all have um, um, things that we're responsible for. We all have uh, the less positive side of our biographies to take account of. But nonetheless, the Gora does recognize uh, after, after that, that, that we, we can't account for all of the pain and suffering that we see in this world in terms of j- just desert. Because God forbid, but we see children suffering, children who, who simply can't, you know, can't carry the weight of responsibility that could be in any way proportionate to uh, the pain and suffering that they experience, uh, or you know, or, or 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 righteous martyrs, you know, that that we 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 read about the the um, the 
the the martyrs of, of the Hadrianic persecutions on, on Yom Kippur, you know, to say that the, the pain and suffering that they went through was it's all commensurate with with the, the, we could call it just dessert. This means that that it, you're going to find among thinking Jewish people across the generations uh, other attempts to answer the problem of evil uh, other than punitive. And you see, uh, you know, in the Monavuchin, this discussion of the problem of evil, uh, the Ramban has an extensive discussion of the problem of evil in Torah Adam, which is an interesting thing because it's a it's a halachic book, Torah Adam. It's uh, it's all about the halachot of 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 um, mourning and burial and death, but then he has his whole philosophy. It's very much in line with the Chaburah, which is that you know you can't divorce these different areas of Torah. You know, um, so he has a whole chapter about yes, but why does death happen? And why do you know why do good people die young and and and, and etc. Um, so you're going to see among thinking Jews of all generations attempts to um, to respond to this theological problem of evil. And, and, and I suppose, um, having started in a circuitous route, we've already spoken about some solutions. We should just express the problem uh, in its clearest form. Mm. The clearest form, there, 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 I like to think of the problem as having three forms, right? The first form is, is called the logical problem of evil, which says that um, if God existed, he would be powerful enough to get rid of all evil, good enough to want to get rid of all evil and knowledgeable enough to know how to do it. It's, it's supposed to follow directly that if such a God exists, there would be no evil. And there is evil, pain and suffering uh, around us. And therefore, it's supposed to follow without further ado that God doesn't exist, or at least God so described. Right? You can end up with a weak God or an unknowing God or an uncaring God. But the God that we believe in of, 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 of absolute perfection supposed to be ruled out logically there is the evidential problem of evil the evidential problem of evil says no it's not impossible maybe there's some explanation as to why uh, uh, an all-powerful all-knowing all-good god would allow the pattern of suffering and evil that we see around us but it is at least counter evidence to the existence of god not a proof that god doesn't exist but counter evidence and the, the, the third problem is, is the one I started with by pushing it back on you, Rabbi Dweck, is, is this, this idea of the existential problem of evil, which is that even if it can make sense to you intellectually, you, you, you've read all the books and you've read the Ramban on Sefer Eov, that's another great place, or, or you've read the Rav Sajagan on Sefer Eov, um, um, and, and, and intellectually you feel you have some grasp, if it doesn't make sense in one's heart, when, when one is confronted with evil, and, yeah. and pain and suffering. Uh, although I would just point out, and I say I'm not, not a pastoral rabbi, but in response to the existential problem, if you experience in response to pain and suffering anger, if you feel angry at God, um, that, then that's quite a holy thing to feel because it suggests that you're not an atheist. Uh, atheists <laughs> don't feel angry at God, right? Um, or if you feel abandoned by God in times of pain and suffering, those are actually religious responses to pain and suffering because they suggest that deep down you, you have a faith. Um, I mean, we so, certainly, we certainly yeah. find the latter, if not the former, we certainly, I think we seem to find the former as well, but we certainly yes. find the latter even in scripture, you know? Yes. 
and the very often times in the Tehillim, you know, where there's this question of, please don't leave me. Or, That's right. Yeah. I find I find that in 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 uh, in the, the high holy liturgy in the Yom Yom Al Ta'azveni is just a, a you know very very don't abandon me, oh Lord. Right? And the, the notion of being left to one's own you know devices outside of the shelter of divine protection is just. Uh, it's very, it's a very much a central aspect of, of yeah. Jewish thought. Yeah, yeah, and the experience of pain. Uh, but like I said, uh, an atheist doesn't feel that. Uh, uh, Richard Dawkins isn't walking around saying, "Oh God, why have you abandoned me?" <laughs> like, no, he's alleviated that problem, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so those are those are the problems, and and we we that's the problem. Sorry, and we spoke about the punitive side, you know. And I think that as theists, we have to recognize that at least some pain and suffering may well be just deserved. Uh, some, but to say it for all pain and suffering is a stretch. You, you, and you mentioned Rabbi Yochanan speaking about his respect for an elderly person because he would have been in, in, in yeah. the, the, the uh, my, uh, my, my Rosh Hashiva, uh, Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, was very, very fond of a book by C.S. Lewis called uh, The Problem of Pain. And, and he was very much of the, the, the belief that, that people should spend the time to look at that book. It's a book by a Christian uh, theologian, but nonetheless, it, it, addresses, uh, it addresses this, this problem that faces all monotheists, uh, you know, of the Abrahamic traditions. And, and the book, uh, you know, doesn't, unlike some of uh, C.S. Lewis's other works, it doesn't engage in anything distinctively Christian, it's in anything that, that, that you know, a, a Jew would be kind of, forbidden from thinking or saying um and he has this he has this amazing um mashal um about a sculptor carving the forms of men and how each blow of the chisel hurts us so much but it's part of what goes towards making us perfect um he had this other metaphor c.s lewis he said that pain is god's megaphone to rouse a, a sleeping world and I find this very powerful. He said, but why couldn't God wake us up with something more pleasant like violins or laughter? And he said, well, because the dream from which we need to be awakened is the dream that all is well. It's a very, very powerful. Uh, mm. and this was I appreciate the second one more than the first. Yeah. Not to, not to break uh, analogies so down. I mean, I'm tell me why. No, I like breaking I'm analogies. Just that they're analogies, but I, the first yeah. one is problematic because it could always be anesthesia. Right. right. In other words, <laughs> when you're acting the blows, you can do it without yeah. anesthesia. You can do it with or right. without anesthesia unless right. unless yes. the pain itself is what is forming the the, the no. entity, right? so, no. which, which I think we at the end of the day have to get to. Because I think that that's what Rabbi Yochanan is, is, is kind of pointing out over there when he, says, when he says, what's happening with this elderly person? He says the harpatke, right? These, these vicissitudes yes. uh, in and of themselves are the educational means or they are the, you know, the, uh, the, the, the means of refinement, if you will, or whatever word we use to kind of... And you could ask, why, why did it have to be painful? Yes, well, I, 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 that's why I'm saying I think the pain itself... Yeah, right. It's in the very pain, right? Which is a yeah. question to unpack, which is yeah. a question to unpack. Yeah. Um, and um, there, but I think there, it's and, something, it's a subtlety, but I think an important one. Yeah, because uh-huh. one could talk about chiseling and forming and so on, and it hurts to chisel and form. 
And yeah. so it's a byproduct. Whereas yeah. I think it's important to recognize that I think the pain is not a byproduct, right? And if we're looking at it again in that framework, right? If we're looking uh-huh. at the suffering as a mode of growth, development. And incidentally, I'll share one thing, one, one reading, because there's a Gemara um, in Shabbat, which says that uh, Rabbi Ameh, he, he makes a very bold statement, which in the end the Gemara refutes. But Rabbi Ameh says, uh, the famous scene, and so the Gemara in the end refutes that point, right? Which, which just, I'll just for those who there's, no yeah, yeah. there's no death without uh, misstep or transgression, and there's mm-hmm. no, there's no uh, suffering without iniquity, right? That's a rough translation, but it's in the, the translation of the word that actually I wanted to. I have I have a reading of it that I that that is perhaps about, connects kind of to what we're we're saying over here because it says in Yisurim one of the simple reading of that is again back to if there's no sin there's no suffering no suffering but I think the word avon is chosen carefully I, I want to suggest anyway that the word avon is chosen carefully that avon comes from ivut in Hebrew which means that there's something corrupt right something mm-hmm. that needs to be unpacked un, un untangled worked out that is not functional. And that unless there is something of that nature in the person, there's no Yisurin, right? So almost to say that if Yisurin are present, they are present to affect the untangling, to affect the growth, mm-hmm. to affect the, the movement to a, a more whole, individuated, in, integral, you know, person. Again, it's, it's looking at it in terms of, of suffering qua that, that mode, but it's, it's a way that I read it. That I think mm. is uh, perhaps a bit, uh, you know, for me, I think that it it uh, it helps to shed light on on more substance with regards to understanding how how to how to accommodate the statement of Rabbi Ami. But I will yeah. say, I mean, I don't know that you're ready to go there. And we don't have to go there, but I'll dip into it anyway, right? There is, we do have to talk about this idea that things happen because they happen. And even that is, and we don't have to do it now, right? No. <laughs> We're not ready for no. it, but... But I'm throwing it out there because um, it's important to dip into uh, as we're talking about all of this, because we are trying to square everything, aren't we? Right. We're trying That's to say, right. Well, either, it's either sin or it's development or it's got to be something. Right. It's, it's us yeah. trying to say there has to be some kind of reason. Or here. could it just be chance? Uh, or is it just that, you know, there there are there's it's a random world by default. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, wrong things happen in unfortunate places when you're in the wrong place at the wrong time. And there's actually a Gemara. <laughs> it's one of the most shocking Gemarot. Yeah. But a Gemara in Chagiga, in which, you know, the, the angel of death says, look, go get me Miriam X to his, you know, to his servant, you know, and the servant brings back Miriam Y by accident. And he said, yeah. what? No, this is not the right Miriam. <laughs> She's, it's not her time to die yet. He go, how did you even get her? He go, well, I mean, you know, there was a vulnerability. And I just went for it. <laughs> it's like, All right. Well, you know, yeah. we'll take her anyway. Uh, you know, th- that's in the Bavli. That's the, yeah, just, that's like an accident could happen in the yeah, heavenly accounting. <laughs> you don't really find that in the Yerushalmi or earlier yeah. texts. It's something that right. is you know, something presented in the Bible, which is remarkable. And there are also, I mean, there are also texts in the Bible that where Chazal absolutely reject their suffering. In other words, if you're saying that your suffering is a result of, of sin, or you're saying that suffering is going to help you be a better person, 
Why would there be these stories in Masichet Brachot in which, you know, Rabbi Yochanan again comes along? I don't want the pain and I don't want the reward yeah. for the pain. Yeah. I want nothing to do with let, it. Me, let me get back to life. Yeah. Right? So, so that's in there as well. And I think well, that's, well, I think that's because there's, there's also, so you said we're trying to square a lot of things, yeah. right? So one problem is the problem of evil. That's, that, that was what was on the flyer for our conversation, right? Mm. But there's also a question about hashkacha pratit. Yes. Um, how, how does God, hashkacha uh, pratit is providence, right? So how does God care for the world? How does, and to what extent does God man manage, uh, um, you know, in the minutiae of what goes on in the world? Because yeah. on the one extreme, you, you have people who think, you know, uh, the Baal Shem Tov is reputed to have said a leaf doesn't fall from a tree, right? Without, without, without Shem, right. yeah, without God's command. But, but specifically, and I'm sure this was chosen on purpose, a leaf on a tree. That's exactly what the Rambam uh, criticized, uh, criticizes the Mutakalimum, the, the Islamic philosophers. Oh, as if, you know, as if God dictates when any given, you know, leaf should fall from a tree. No, God set in place uh, uh, laws of nature. And for the Rambam, Ashkacha um, Pratit is a privilege that doesn't befall every single human being. It yeah. befalls those human beings who, 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 who rise to it, who are worthy of Ashkacha Pratit. So it's very nice, you know, some of us like to say, and I, I, I have my moods when I'm like this, because you know I have a, a little bit of a chosid in me. I but do. You know, you know, <laughs> Yeah, there's a little bit of either likes to say from time to time. Oh, it's beshert, oh, it's beshert, oh, it had to be. I mean, then you see this in the Gemara, Gamzu, Tova, Gamzu, Tova, Nachamish Gamzu. But uh, there's another side of me uh, that perhaps the more, more philosophical sedate and, and, and rational side say, hold on a minute, that's actually quite arrogant to think that God is like, you know, intervening to do things for you at a, at a no, some things are just by chance, you know, God, you know, God, you know. In fact, the Rambam has a very uh, um, moving example when he talks about Ashkacha Pratit in the third chalek of, of the Moran of he, he, he talks about a shipwreck. And of course, yeah. anyone who knows about his biography knows what a meaningful example that is because he lost his brother to a shipwreck. And he says that um, the way Ashkacha Pratit works according to Maimonides, the way that, that uh, um, individual providence works, is that God, because for the Rambam, God is pure intellect. If God is going to interfere with the world once he's created it, it's going to be through some sort of intellectual influence because God is pure intellect. So what God can do is he can, so to speak, broadcast a message, something like, warning, there's going to be a, uh, you know, a terrible storm at sea. And if you are refined enough, to pick up that message. You don't need to be a prophet necessarily. A prophet would hear it very clearly. But you could be slightly lower. You just, you just get some sort of um, strong inclination. Oh, I don't think I want to get on that boat. Chazal, Chazal right. referred to that as mazalo, right? Or your unconscious. Your unconscious knows. Your unconscious picks it up. And, yeah. and the Rambam's making it sound as if, you know, um, his brother didn't pick that up mm. and it was terribly tragic, but you know, it, you know, um, so yes, you're, you're absolutely right. We've got lots of different questions to answer and it's difficult to answer them uh, without answering them together. 
Because if you have one view about, about providence, it's going to give you a, a different view about the problem of evil. Right. Truth be told, if you think that God manages things at that micro level, he's more on the hook for evil than if God is. Well, somewhere. I think that we're, we're saying a lot. Uh, we're saying a lot mm-hmm. without saying explicitly that all of this, mm-hmm. right, all of this, all of these questions, the problem of evil and the problem mm-hmm. of suffering and the various strands of suffering that we're addressing all really come down to a bigger question, which is that of justice. Right. Con- and what, what bothers us really is the justice problem. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm just putting that out there because I know you're right. That's, you know, that's the unspoken underlying foundation to all of this. that's even prompting the conversation in the first place, because we didn't worry about justice. We really wouldn't be. We would say, OK, you know, it, it hurts. But, you know, what can we do? There's no justice. You know, but so but the, there is another there is another strand of, of, of Jewish thought that, that um, the Ramban in Tawat Adam comes again, comes uh, comes down against very harshly. But it, it's it's what you could call uh, anti-theodicy. So, so theodicy is the the attempt to, to defend God in the face of the problem of evil, to yeah. explain yeah. why His ways really are just, as you said, in, in you know in the in the face of what looks like contrary evidence. Right? I have it here. It's in the last chapter of Torah Adam. He says, "The imtishal." If you ask, "Kevan sheyesh inyan ne elam b'mishpat." He says, you might ask, right, you know, we know that God's justice is hidden from us and we know we have faith that he's a perfect judge. Right. So why are we going into all of this you know, trouble to try and explain? Just have faith. Shut up and have faith. <laughs> but what he's saying, but I think what's important is, and thank you for bringing that in, what's important yeah. is that even the Ramban is not saying, right, and not saying that you're saying it, so yeah. I'm simply adding a point to it, right? The Ramban is saying, it's not that it isn't just, you just don't no, get the justice. You just don't get, but that's the uh, yeah, question. That, that's the issue, right? He's saying, okay, so you don't see the justice. Yeah, but that's the yeah. question of the Ramban. The Ramban yeah. answers it, he says, mm-hmm. this is like, it's like a really dumb thing to say because he thinks um, that God gave us an intellect for a reason mm. and we have to try our hardest to figure things out. And mm. we've got to do it with humility, recognizing that the answers we come across might not be the, the, the final answers. And, mm. and the questioner is right, as you point out, to, to start with the faith that God is just. Mm. But that doesn't relinquish us of the responsibility to try to figure out something. Figure it out. You know, hear it out to try. However, against the Ramban, I would say there are people in our tradition that just yeah. are anti-theodicy. And I think, you know, that, that, that comes across when Rabbi Yochanan says, mm-hmm. I don't want anything to do with pain and suffering. And when you have all those Midrashim, where God himself is confronted about the problem of evil, and he, he often says things like, Shtok kachalav machshavah. Yes, right. You know, shut up. This is just the way it is. is or I'll return the world back to, to nothing. Yeah, that's right. If, which means it, it's as if there's a strand in the Gemara that's saying these questions are above our pay grade. Right. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think Rev Soloveitchik felt that very, very um, cogently. So mm-hmm. in, um, in a piece he wrote called A Halachic Response to Pain and Suffering, published in the early 90s although I think it was delivered in the 60s mm-hmm. um, as a talk he said Judaism doesn't have a metaphysics of evil it has an ethics of evil 
And what he meant by that is a metaphysics of evil would be a complete explanation as to why bad things happen, as to, as to what, makes, what makes God's justice um, just, right? Is God not a just judge? A metaphysics of evil would explain to us how it is that God is just. And the Soloveitchik says Judaism doesn't have one. It has an ethics of, of evil, which it says God tells us how to respond to evil when we see it. Uh, and, and, and I see that, but I also see the, I also see Nachmanides against it. If yeah. I understand it, it's a machloket between Rabbi Meir, and I can't remember the, the Tanakhama in this, in this uh, Gemara, it's also Gemara in, in Mesechet Brachot, it's Rabbi Lazar, says that Moshe Rabbeinu asked three questions of, mm-hmm. of Hashem, mm-hmm. and he received an answer to all three of them. Mm-hmm. The first was that um, Hashem should accompany us, and Hashem said, okay, I will. The second was that it should be exclusive, this, yep. this relationship, and Hashem no, said, it, it'll be exclusive. And the third is, I want you to explain to me, Tadik Varalo, why is it that, that good people suffer? And according to Gliazar, Moshe Rabbeinu received an answer to all three questions. Mm-hmm. And according to Rabbi Meir, no, he received an answer to the first two questions and not the third. Mm-hmm. Because the third question, the question of why do bad things happen to, to good people is, is above our pay grades. I say this because I recognize that not, not every thinking Jewish voice in our tradition endorses um, what, I, what I, with along with Ranban, take to be an important endeavor, the endeavor of trying to at least hypothesize mm-hmm. as to how the evil and suffering we see around us is consistent with God's justice. Yeah, well, I, I, will, I will say on that a few things. I think that, uh, for presenting those points, I think that mm-hmm. for me, when it comes to these things, I don't see, and I'm not saying that you're using the term, uh, uh, you know, emphatically, but for me, it's less and more and more revealing various parts of the tapestry, right? Mm. So what Rav Soloveitchik is talking about is a really important point, because what Rav Soloveitchik is saying is, okay, so, you know, when you have a pandemic, for example, right, the more productive way to go about it is not to say, what have we done to deserve this? Yes. But to say, what does this mean to us? And how do we respond how to we get out of it in the best way, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a very important point because it's, mm-hmm. it's something that all of us have to deal with in the face of suffering and, and, and upset because we can uh, theoretically get lost in the question of why is this happening to me? Yeah, which we see. I mean, I'll say also as a, as a rabbi and counselor in whatever capacity, oftentimes people get very stuck in that question. Yes. And it, it paralyzes the ability to be able to say, and now that it is, what do I do? Yes. Yeah, so, so there, there's that point. But what the Ramban uh, you know, is saying is we should not uh, live a life in which God and his ways are so foreign and, uh, and absurd to us that we lose our connection right to it uh-huh. so there's a value to intellect and there's a value to our to our to our sechel and, and as the rambam will say right that's our connection yeah yeah the, the very fact that we have consciousness and intellect is our way to get there to connect mm-hmm. with god right so so the way that i look at it are these again there are these these this is a complex ball right of uh, you know that that has so many permutations and we are we're we're what we're trying to, to do to be able to kind of have some framework for it is to be able to look at, you know, the, the brilliance of those who spoke on it, 
and kind of try and put things together with, and unless we absolutely can't, right? Again, that's yes. what I'm saying. Yes. You know, yes. we should, we're looking to see, well, how do we shed light on all of this and be able to say, well, in, in these circumstances, this is the way that we look at it. So uh, I think, you know, I, so, so that's one thing that I'll, you know, that I'll put, I'll put forward. Um, but the other is, the other is, I do think, you know, and, and you know, as, as, as I know, you're, 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 uh, you're, uh, you know, your Hasidic streak, you know, my, you know, my staunch uh, 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 connection to the Rambam. And I really do think because of that, that it is a mistake we make not to include the randomness of it all mm-hmm. into the equation. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and not only that, but why the randomness? It was, it's okay. It's, it's one thing to say, well, let's just deal with the fact that randomness is all part of this, right? But also the importance of the fact that randomness is all part of it and what we lose, you know, the chances that we lose when we lose chance. Yes, uh, you, you need to explain uh, if you take that, that route, and I'm not opposed to the route that, that, mm-hmm. that um, gives real space to the existence of randomness within God's world. You, you need to explain how that could be just as well. Right. How yes. is that compatible with God's justice? Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, Absolutely. But to, to respond to your your first point, and I, I really appreciate this. And I think I think this comes from I mean. Um, you know, I don't want to be sycophantic. I think it comes from your great wisdom, but I think it also comes from being be, being a leader of communities. Uh, mm. Rabbi Zweck is that you recognize that that. For, for, for each phenomenon, there's a season, right, like in, in Sefer Kohele. That there's a time for thinking abstractly about the problem of evil. And that's when we come up with theodicies, the punitive theodicy, the soul-making theodicy is the name yeah. of the other thing we were talking about. Uh, John Hicks says you shouldn't judge the world in terms of how comfortable it is for God's creatures. That makes God sound like he's a, a pet owner and we're his <laughs> pets and how comfortable has he made the universe. You should judge the world by how conducive it is to soul making how conducive it is to experiences that are going to make us grow in the service of God and become, you know, mm. true, true, true reflections of, Lovely. of, of Lovely. however, there's a time for thinking abstractly about the problem of evil. Mm. There's a time for adopting the more sort of a chicken re- response. And, and, it, and, and, and I think leading people religiously, mm-hmm. part of it is about understanding uh, when <laughs> when that's right at what time is what is what and, and so i will say a, a personal confession yeah. that that has certainly come with age mm. right when i was younger it was much more cerebral yeah, yeah? but i also hadn't lived life or experienced yeah. my own level of pain and suffering to that degree right so that's yeah. i think you know that's that goes with the age process as well but it is part of mentorship right i think it is important i mean i guess i'll say parenthetically over here because you're bringing in the pastoral mm-hmm. side of rabbinics mm-hmm. or the counseling side of rabbinics that is an important thing for mentors to teach apprentices in in rabbinic training because obviously you know one can never replace what it is that life teaches us right which goes into the so the core of our discussion of course yes but um but one can alert one to the fact yes. that there is this phenomenon, right? And that, that, uh, that, that there are things that we will not feel or see until we feel or see them, but uh-huh. we can be sensitive to the fact that they might be present. And then I think you could add a further stage 
-hmm. which is there are times where we need to be able to live with a certain cognitive dissonance, Mm. um, um, applying what seem to be incompatible answers to the same problem simultaneously. This I take from from Rabbi Akiva in his discussion with Tinius Rufus on this question. Tinius Rufus says, well, you know, let me give you a marshal. If, um, if the poor are like... He said, well, this is in response to a question of Tinius Rufus, why doesn't God feed the poor? Right? That's right. If, God, that wanted, if yeah. God wanted you to feed the poor, he wouldn't have made them poor, right? right. The fact right. that God made them poor means he doesn't want them being fed. So what are you doing? feeding them he gives them a mashal he said it's like a king who punishes uh, a, a subject and then along you come and undo the pain and suffering of the punishment the king's going to be furious with you mm-hmm. so Rabbi Akiva I mean the, 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 the discussion goes goes further than this but I, I like to stop and meditate on this point of the this nekudah of, of the discussion Rabbi Akiva says no hold on let me give you a different metaphor I think it's such a profound metaphor, and it says so much about Rabbi Akiva. Because Rabbi Akiva, of course, is the author of Avinu Malkainu. Yes. Okay, I'll come back to that in a moment. Rabbi Akiva says, no, it's not like a king punishing a subject and then you coming along and undoing the punishment. Because God is our king, but he's also our father, Avinu Malkainu. It's like a king who's punishing a child. If a stranger walks by, I'm trying to imagine my, my highly strung eight-year-old um, put into timeout, right? I'm furious with him. Stand over there, Moshe Akiva, you're in timeout, right? And then someone walks by and can't help being moved by how cute he is and, you know, gives him a candy or something. Mm. Well, I'm angry with him he's, because he's done something that's worthy of being put in timeout for. I love him because he's my son and anybody who can see how cute he is and kind of and share that with me instantly kind of uh, um, has an intimacy with me, too. And so, says Rabbi Akiva, Tinis Rufus, what you're un- what you're unable to do is work with more than one metaphor at a time. You're thinking of God as either he's the king or he's the um, or he's the father. He can't be both at once. And this is what. This is, you know, eventually that's what Tinius Rufus yeah. pushes back on Rabbi Akiva. And, and I think Rabbi Akiva, in the end, he just he wants to get out of the discussion. And he basically, yeah. says, well, there's, a, there's, a, there's a pasuk that says we need to give charity. And that's why yeah. I do it. Go away. <laughs> that's but, very similar. Right. Exactly. But first, I mean, finish your. Yeah, your yeah but, I, but I actually think yeah. I actually think that had Rabbi Akiva had more patience with him, mm. he'd have said, no, 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 it's it's not either or at sometimes mm. he's our king and sometimes he's both right. and we we have loads of different metaphors to describe the divine human relationship but they sure. are they are merely metaphors mm. and a sophisticated person can do two things one switch between them when appropriate and knowing mm. when it's appropriate mm. but two is sometimes to be able to hold more than one of them at once yes. right and recognize the complex logic that governs the relationship between right yeah, I think that's a beautiful. I think it's a beautiful point. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, not that you need to say so, but I think <laughs> it's wonderful. Uh, and it, and it goes back to the fact that this is a complex ball, right? Mm-hmm. And there are there there are going to be various you know parts of it. And even when you know when Rabbi Akiva ends with uh, there's a pasuk, yeah, uh, or you know it's essentially Rabbi Akiva saying right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> which is very much like God saying. 
right? You know, this, it's just, this is the way it is. Just do it. And yeah. So there's, it's very interesting because that's what that line, right? That response is what, what Dawkins will reject. In other words, that line is what the atheists will reject. They'll say, no, yeah. there either there's no reason for us to have to get to that point in which we say yeah. and and I think that it's important for us to to highlight I think uh, again to suggest that that why why should that not be a a meaningful answer in and of itself that there is there is humility and even reason to be able to say that we cannot wrap our heads around all of it and that there are certain existential realities that are hurtful, that are painful, that are just not easy for us to be able to uh, uh, manage and accommodate. We live on a hostile planet. It is hostile. This universe is hostile to life. The reality is, is that we are uh, you know, moving against the powerful move of entropy in order for us to be able to just carry on another day. Mm-hmm. And that is in the water. And for us to be able to say or that's the is not a cop-out. It is a recognition of the fact that these things are of, like we were saying at the beginning, you know, these are the big questions that we may not be able to always hold in, 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 in pristine clarity within our minds. So I wonder if I could, and I'm not, I'm not saying that we have to end on this, but on that, I would like to read something. I actually brought a reading with me mm. that, I, that I'm going to share with everybody. Because for me, this is written by one of my, my favorite authors and a good friend of mine, Mark Helprin, who wrote, uh, he wrote a very uh, a best-selling book in the 80s called, called Winter's Tale. Not, not Shakespeare. Not, not the Shakespeare one. Yeah, yeah. Not the and... And I, I was so moved by the way that he put this into the, to the uh, narrative of this. You know, there's this young uh, criminal, basically, who uh, is working on discovering himself. Yeah, he's, he's mm-hmm. called Peter Lake. And he, he goes to this, you know, very, very wealthy media mogul who is, his name is Isaac Penn. And, and he falls in love with Isaac Penn's daughter. And she's suffering from consumption, right? She's, she's, she's terrible and she's going to die. And, and he, he, so this Peter Lake asks Isaac Penn, you know, he says, uh, he says, there's no justice in this. And so I'm going to read to you the response of it. Cause I think that for me, you know, this is a very eloquent way of kind of pointing out what we're, what this last point that we're talking about. So he says, Who said, lashed out Isaac Penn, that you, a man, can always perceive justice? Who said that justice is what you imagine? Can you be sure that you know it when you see it? That you'll live long enough to recognize the decisive thunder of its occurrence? That it can be manifest within a generation, within 10 generations, within the entire span of human existence? What you're talking about is common sense, not justice. Justice is higher and not as easy to understand until it presents itself in unmistakable splendor. The design of which I speak is far above our understanding, but we can sometimes feel its presence. No choreographer, no architect, engineer, or painter could plan more thoroughly and subtly. Every action and every scene has its purpose, and the less power one has, the closer he is to great waves that sweep through all things, patiently preparing them for the approach of a future signified not by simple human equity, a child could think of that, but by luminous and surprising connections that we have not imagined, by illustrious, terrifying 
illustrations terrifying and benevolent, a golden age that will show not what we wish, but some bare awkward truth upon which rests everything that ever was and everything that ever will be. There is justice in the world, Peter Lake, but it cannot be had without mystery. We try to bring it about without knowing exactly what it is and only to touch upon it. Beautiful. So there's a bit of uh, poetry in it, obviously, but something nonetheless that I thought is worth, worth sharing. So, so a couple of, um, couple of thoughts might uh, uh, round out what, I was, what, what I've been trying to say, uh, um, and, and partly in, in response to that beautiful quote that Rabbi Dwight. So um, first of all, we've touched on some things called the Odyssey's responses to the problem of evil, mm. the punitive one, the soul-making one, and there are many more, and people who come to my class uh, uh, I think it's in September, if they become members of the Chabura, uh, they'll learn about more. Um, and they'll see them, please God, sourced in the Jewish texts, in, in, in the tradition. Um, something that comes out of the text that you just uh, read um, is there's a school of thought today among uh, philosophers of religion called skeptical theism. Uh, and and the, the skepticism here isn't skepticism about the existence of God. No, they're theists without skepticism. They're skeptical about our ability to understand God's ways. Mm. And the idea is that the, the very claim that, that a perfect being exists entails mm. that there will be some things in the ways in which that being operates that will be beyond mm. us. Mm. And therefore, we, sh we should have a certain humility. But the beautiful thing, I think, about that quote is even if we can't necessarily understand it, we can sometimes catch a glimpse of it. Sense it, yeah. And I think that that might be what's going on when God speaks to Eov from the whirlwind. There mm. are two things going on. Mm. One is God is making clear to Eov, you can't really understand me. I was going to say about that, sorry to interject, but yeah. th there's this one line, right, where God says to Eov, yeah. where were well, you when, you when I made all of this? You know, you yeah. weren't there yeah. when I was setting all this up. <laughs> yeah, you think you understand this? Yeah. On, the other, on the other side, and it took, for me, it took a, a Catholic commentator on the book called Eleanor Stump to make me see this, hmm. that, that it's not just accusatory language that God has, like, where were you? Where were you? Hmm. God's making it clear, you know, I'm there to look after every single animal in the whole of the cosmos, right? <laughs> I care about everything. And what Eov learns is that even if he can't understand, he, he has an experience of God's care. Uh, so, yeah. so he catches that glimpse that the, 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 the quote, you know, the, 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 what, yeah. who wrote, who, who, who was it that you were reading? This is Mark Helper in an excerpt from Mark, his book. Mark Helper. Yeah. So, so, but finally, uh, something else you had said before you read the quote mm -hmm. is about when is it acceptable to say, look, I just don't know. Mm. Uh, this is, this is for me a great hobby horse, right? Because I think this is one of the great differences between the theist today and the atheist today. The atheist today, in a sense, I think, that's the winter's tale, Mark, help, thank you, help mm -hmm. So for me, one way of explaining the, 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 the debate is as follows. The atheist believes that the world emerged by chance and they can calculate even the chances that a universe would be hospitable to life because you need the constants of, of physics to be within you know, a certain uh, range. And the odds are ridiculous. Leonard Susskind, uh, 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 a, um, an atheist physicist, of course he's Jewish, because all the best atheists are Jewish. Um, <laughs> but um, they're Jewish atheists. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. but, 
uh, Leonard, Leonard Soskin said, says um, you can calculate it about the odds of a universe being hospitable to life, about one in a trillion, 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 trillion. And, and then you ask, okay, so why did that happen? Mm. What, mm. you know, that, that's fluke. What explains, mm. you know, the, the job of science well, is, to make, is to explain <laughs> things, right? And, and if a scientist says, oh, it happened by fluke, that's a cop-out answer. Yeah. Yeah, that's not, science yeah. is, about, is about reducing mystery and reducing mm. fluke. They just mm. say, oh, Stam Kaha, that's just the way it was. Mm. And in a sense, the theist says, no, we explain more by mm. positing the existence of a God who wants mm. life to evolve in this universe. So mm. in a sense, our theory is more explanatory about, mm. like you say in the Gemara, which means, how would you say, how would you say that in English? Nonetheless. Um, nonetheless, <laughs> nonetheless, we also have to put our hands up at some point and say, also there's stuff we can't explain. We can explain more than you, right? Because we believe the universe didn't get here by chance. To, the theistic theory is more explanatory yeah. than an atheistic theory. Nonetheless, at every, at, you know, your kids keep asking you, yeah, but why? Yeah, but why? Oh. Yeah, but God. why? And at some point you just have to say, well, stand some things are, right? So at, everybody has to accept that at some point explanation. There are always axioms, right? There are axioms. You've got to start with axioms. And we, you know, and if the atheist, if the atheist wants to accuse us of, 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 of a kind of intellectual dishonesty for, for not answering confidently why mm. bad things happen to good people, I think there's a, there's a, a double standard here because yes. we've actually succeeded in being more explanatory than they have. Agreed. Sometimes we all have to put our hands up and say, I don't know. The mm. question is, how far can you push that boundary back? And I should I, I shouldn't. I shouldn't we wrestle conclude. with it. We do you wrestle, wrestle with it. And it's we, right. And I shouldn't gave... conclude that our answer is we don't know because there are some good theories to explain why at least some of the bad things. Compl- to explain have. components of it. Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. You know, but there will be mystery too. And yeah. we're okay with that. Yeah. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. Rip Sam. I forgot Thank you, I, was I forgot I was fasting. It was amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm so happy. It's always good. Always. Now. Always a privilege and a tremendous, tremendous joy to be able to talk with you. Thank you for taking and your time too. so late at night there to speak with the Chabura and, uh, and everyone who will be tuning in to listen to the recording. And the Yidi Diva Habibi, please, God, we should see each other in the flesh soon. I look forward to it. I, right. I, for, for me, it's just a great uh, opportunity, these, these Zoom conversations, to, 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 to have a chat with you. Thank you. When, when are you next in London? Are you planning or...? Well, uh, I'm coming to, to visit my parents. Um, okay, there. Jackson, are, they're on, are they not? That's right. Those Liebens is right. there. I'll be. Well, I'll much be... nacha to not much nacha to you. Thank you. To your parents. Right. Lovely to lovely to see them on. Lovely Thank you. Very when much. will you When will you be here? When will you be here? I'm gonna. We're, we're flying over at the beginning of August. Oh, uh, how long are you staying? We'll be around for a month and we'll be in London oh, good. for days. I'll message, so then I'll message let's try you and get together at the end of August sometime if you're in if you're still in and not traveling. I would love that. I'll okay, I won't want to, I won't have to drag the entire audience into our diary planning. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. Lovely to see thank you, Rabbi. And thank you everybody for joining us. Over to you, Ohad. Are we done? Are we thank you, Ohad? Thank you so much, everyone, for coming. Ohad.
message message flora please just see if you can help her out a little and bit. i enjoyed the comments i saw a great comment about rabbi yes. Sachs, um, Morena thank you okay thank you take everybody. care Bye. thank you